Life is tough, but so are you. In this video today, I'm gonna be talking about a tough topic that a lot of people get a little weird talking about, and that is how to handle consistent suicidal thoughts. The struggle is real, it is happening more and more, and I'm here to help you through that. We're gonna be walking through what you need to handle those consistent suicidal thoughts as you're getting the help and healing that you need, and that is creating a coping ahead plan. So what the heck is a coping ahead plan? A coping ahead plan is your personalized strategy for planning for and coping with any upcoming or potential stressors that could be coming up for you. Now this could be going on a date, it could be taking a test, it could be graduation, really anything that might be stressful for you. So how does a coping ahead plan work? The best way is to create it before a situation happens and to have all those tools handy. This is something that's going to be a living, workable, breathable document, which means that you're going to assess and reassess what's working and not working along the way, and you might have to change it up based on different circumstances. So for example, if one of your main stress relievers is shooting some hoops, that's awesome, I'm all for that, but you probably can't do that in the middle of a math test. Making sure that you have some variation in this plan is gonna be really important for you. We're gonna go through the whole coping ahead plan in this video today. And if you'd like to follow along, you can get your own free guided workbook when you sign up for the self-care bundle. This plan is meant to go in order, but if you are actively struggling with suicidal thoughts or urges, or it's so intense that you just need immediate relief right now, stop this video, call a crisis line, call 911 or proceed to your local emergency department. You're probably beyond a coping ahead plan at that point. All right, let's hop into it. So the very first thing that you gotta know is how to identify your stressors. So stressors are any potential anticipated upcoming things that you know could lead to an uncomfortable or intense emotional urge, thought, or experience. So for me, one thing that I know is a pretty constant stressor if I don't keep up on it is I need to be well-fed throughout the day. So one of the things that I do is I make sure to have snacks handy and I actually have a mini fridge in my office so that I can always keep my lunch there. Otherwise I turn into a total monster and nobody wants to be around me. Your stressors might be a little bit different. Maybe it's knowing that you have a lot of fun events coming up and you just don't know when you'll have time to just chill and relax. Or you happen to know that there's three really big school projects coming up. Some other things that might be stressful are running late somewhere, so creating some buffer time would be really helpful. And if you don't know your stressors, that's quite all right. You can figure it out as you go along. So after the fact, if you're like, huh, what set that off? Just think back a little bit and you can add it to your plan later. So once you know what your stressors are and what could leave you vulnerable to an emotional experience like this, you're ready for the second step, and that is using your coping skills. So y'all know I love my coping skills skills. I think they're amazing, but coping skills really only take you so far. They're really meant to help you hang in there through the intensity of that experience. They might not necessarily make the situation different or better, but they will help you stay in control. I have a huge library of videos all about some of my favorite coping strategies, so you can definitely check out some of those when you hit subscribe. Let's see what works best for you. There's typically four main categories of coping skills that I like to go over. Those are distraction skills, improving the moment skills, 
self-soothing, and crisis survival. So you kind of want to personalize it based on the situation that you're needing to cope with and what would make most sense for you. And then within those categories, there's a ton of variation. I typically recommend having at least a minimum of six to eight coping strategies to pull from at any point and mix it up, pull from a few different categories. So the reason why I recommend six to eight is when I was learning and being trained on how to be a therapist, uh, I did consultation at the group home that I worked with and the guys like drilled into us that it takes six to eight coping strategies to match the same relief you get from a problem behavior or experience. I wish I knew the research to back it up, but that's the source <laughs> and it's worked well for my clients. So I hope it works well for you. So just remember, it might take more than one. So if somebody's telling you like, oh, take a deep breath, that feels awesome. That's great. Therapists, we love deep breathing, but you probably are gonna need more than just a few deep breaths if you're dealing with consistent suicidal thoughts. I'm just saying. If you have used your coping strategies and you're still struggling with those suicidal thoughts, then I really recommend that you move on to step number three, and that is talking to a safe, responsible adult. So while friends and siblings and other people in your world might be super awesome resources, the reason why I really recommend relying on a safe, supportive, responsible adult is because as a fellow teenager, they might be going through their own struggles and figuring things out and they might not know what their capacity is for helping yet. Adults for the most part, not every adult, but most adults typically know where their stopping point is. And if they're not able to help, they're usually a good resource for who could be a good help at that point. Some potential safe, responsible adults you might wanna include on your plan might be a parent, a grandparent, a family member, a teacher, a neighbor. The list goes on and on. There's a lot of resources there. I really recommend not only including their name and their contact information, whether that's their phone number, social media handle, whatever is the primary form of contact. Before you put it on a plan, you want to make sure that you get their permission and have a conversation with them first. So I would really recommend starting off with letting them know how grateful you are for their support already and asking if they would be willing to be a resource for you in these times. That way, if they get a random call from you and they're like, huh, that's weird, they're less likely to ignore it in your time of need and make a point of getting back to you pretty quickly if they're not able to answer your call right then and there. You know your stressors, you have your coping strategies, you've tried them out, maybe you have talked to a safe supportive adult or maybe they weren't available and you're still struggling with this, the next thing to do would be to reach out to your current mental health providers. So if you are already working with a licensed mental health therapist or a psychiatrist or even your pediatrician. These are all great people to reach out to. So again, just check in with them about what is their policy for receiving these sort of calls after hours. For the kids who work with me, I let them know that I do my best to return their calls, their emails, their texts as soon as I'm able to. But I also like to remind them that I'm a very heavy sleeper. So if they're reaching out to me in the middle of the night, I'm probably not going to get that until the morning. But when I do, I will reach back out to them and we'll make a plan together about what to do next. If you've tried that or you're still struggling or you're not able to get in contact with somebody, the next thing would be to call your local crisis number. So in the United States and Canada, you can text 741-741 anytime 
24 hours a day, seven days a week to reach the crisis text line. YouTube has a great resource that I've included right in the description below that you can click on and find your local number. Now you might be thinking like, hold up Mallory, I don't wanna crawl a crisis number because they're gonna send me to the hospital. I'm gonna here to tell you that most people who are trained as crisis line operators are highly motivated not to send you to the hospital unless you need it. The whole point of having a crisis line is so that you can get support right here, right now, without having to go to an emergency department for help. Now, if it's looking like that is what you need, they will do everything in their power to make that happen too. Which leads me right into the last part of this coping head plan, and that is if you have tried all of these strategies, you have identified and named your stressors, you have used at least six to eight coping skills, you have talked to or attempted to talk to a safe, responsible adult, you have a talked to or attempted to talk to your mental health treatment team providers, you have called and talked to somebody at your local crisis line, and you are still struggling with consistent suicidal thoughts, it's probably time to go to the emergency department to make sure that they can get you some immediate help and relief. The journey to handling consistent suicidal thoughts and healing is not something that can be done alone, which is why it's really important to figure out how you can talk to your parents about this. If that's something that you're struggling with, you definitely wanna check out the video right over here. And if you found the information in this video useful and helpful and you'd like even more, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Thanks for watching.